Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, the podcast where we discuss horror in media. And tonight, grab your insecticide and arm yourself with ray guns as we explore them and Forbidden Planet. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. I had to say them because the whole, it's all in caps and has the big exclamation It's going to frighten me in editing. Yeah. <laughs> them. As them. A, as a little girl says. Yeah. Them. They do the thing. The, the thing. thing. I love it when they do the, the thing. Shadow. The, the shadow. The shadow. <laughs> God damn it. Is this going to be a continuous yeah. joke? I hope it is. <laughs> Wait. Right. Before we get started, I need to remind everybody, go vote. Send yeah. in your mail-in ballots. Oh, yeah. Please fucking vote. <laughs> Do not sit this election out. Anyway, that's the PSA for Don't now. think you're smart for not voting, because you're not. Okay, thank you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Do your yeah. civil service oh, in America. It vote, it, you know, if... Uh, it's, it is important. <laughs> like it, it absolutely is. I, I have so much more to say, but it really just is important to do it. Regardless, just yeah. get out there. Also, and if you're feeling like they're not going to count your vote, go to a rich neighborhood and drop it off. Hey. Mm. It'll get counted. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. <laughs> go to fucking, if you're in San Diego, go to the La Jolla Library and they'll, they'll take them there. Real shit. <laughs> I think some of my some of my neighbors like in like neighborhoods would host like a ballot box. Oh yeah, there. they do it in like their garages sometimes. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. it was awesome. I ro- I was had work in the morning. I rolled on in. It was like I'm putting my ballot in. Yep. Ballot box bo- block party. Yeah. Yeah. Ballot box block party. There you go. Yeah, you got it. You <laughs> nice. got it. That's a tongue twister. Yeah. Say that ten times ballot, fast. Ballot box block party. Bob. Nope. Already <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's over. Nope. <laughs> it's over. All right. So this is my week, and I chose these movies because. They're considered to be Silver Age era classic sci-fi movies. They dip a little bit in horror here and there, but I really want to talk about these movies because it's been a while since we've talked about some older films. Um, So I want to know, we're going to start with uh, Forbidden Planet. I want to know, first off, like what were your initial thoughts on the movie? The robot's the bad guy. That was my initial thought. I was like, the robot is the bad guy. They are going to go to the planet, and a robot will attack them. And it's not what happened. I was personally really excited to see what the robot did. Robbie the robot. Robbie. He's oh. iconic. He honestly, he made the whole movie. If he wasn't there, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. Truth. I mean, I didn't enjoy it for other the reasons. The 60 gallons we'll of booze. Yes, yeah. right? <laughs> gallons of booze. Robbie the robot is a homie. I feel like we should get a little graphic done of him with just tons of booze, like, downing it. That'd yes. be pretty cool, like, actually. Like, 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 like what Bender was. Yes. Just like, yeah. <laughs> oh. He was the original Bender. Yeah, he is the original Bender. Dang. You know, I just realized Bender is called Bender because he goes on benders. <laughs> well, speaking of, Robbie does have one of the most the most clutch responses. They were like, you should ask this robot if he's a boy or a girl. And he's just like, this question is not important oh to me. Oh, my God. Okay. When I was watching that, I was like, why does it matter? Are you trying to fuck the robot? Yeah. Like, Yo, like, that's they're what trying I to fuck everything too. else in the fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. like, I haven't had pussy in over a year. Let me fuck this robot yeah, real quick. Yeah, for real. He, <laughs> he had no it, doubt. have a vagina? Jeez. Stares <laughs> like a long stare. Yeah, oh, my God. That was, Captain, that was very Captain, awkward. I just got to ask him. I just got to. <laughs> I like that it was the weird chef, too. Uh. <laughs> it was just, like, obviously not as smart as the rest of the crew. 
He just wanted to get drunk. He just wanted to, yeah, he just wanted to booze it up all the whole time. I mean, if I was on a, like, strange planet, I'd probably want to get lit, too. I'm just saying. Maybe. I'd, I would check if they had their own booze. Ooh. Like, do you guys have, like, yeah. interplanetary booze? It, instead Ooh. of having a robot fabricate all your yeah. booze for you, just being like, I would like this whiskey. <laughs> Fucking makes Does he need an original sample, though, to recreate it? Yeah. Like you have to have what's some fucking cra- some of it. What's crazy is he makes Kentucky bourbon and he like produces the bottle and it looks exactly the same as the bottle he's given. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty neat. He's like a copier for like yeah. anything. <laughs> anything organic. Organic matter copier. Ooh. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, I like that idea. I would just keep putting gold <laughs> in there like make you rich me. I, yeah i totally expected i was like i was once he they started feeding him the booze i was like this is it this is where it goes wrong they get the robot drunk and oh. it starts murdering no. people like this is where it starts that but would be a no. great alternate yeah. yeah right yeah exactly you just oh break this booze right yes yeah. oh my you just god pan over the, to booze the robot is and the so chef good. like drinking on some distant rock just talking about life like you know man i didn't think i'd ever end up here but here i am <laughs> Yes, sir. I understand, sir. <laughs> yes. That's great. I mean, I appreciate that the film started off really strong. They had good attention to detail as far as the, like sci-fi goes. And like they were not leaving anything to chance Like where people are like, well, how did they do this? It's like they explained every step getting there, how they put stuff together. And then for some reason in the middle of the film, it just took a nosedive. And like the rest of the film is like, what the fuck is happening? And why did it happen this way? How is it now his consciousness? I don't really like it was just the it was like the writer was like, yeah, this is great. And then they were like, you need to finish it like now. And then he <laughs> like rushed to the end. It's like he's trying to do like a like a Twilight Zone. Yeah. Thing, yeah. You know what I mean? Like the monster was actually the evil of humanity all the time. Which I so dig the man. concept, but yeah. like I was kind of confused as how to they how they got there in the first place because I feel like it was like okay, explain, 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 and I, then just jump to oh, I, it was his consciousness. I, the whole I think time. it's right. because he. I think he explains that the Krell removed that part of themselves so that they could interact with each other and then make the, like the utopian society that they did, mm-hmm. and then they're evil the evils of man the inherent evil in man could not (laughs) could not be stopped (laughs) i feel like that was a theme in both movies considering them included you know the fallout of nuclear uh weaponry and how that would affect people and then also like the societal effects of having nuclear weapons agreed yeah i mean it was it was made in a time period where they could definitely have commentary about stuff like that yeah (laughs) like they were still feeling the effects of it Mm i i picked this movie because i saw it a long time ago and then coming back to it i agree with john it starts really fantastic the set design and the pieces are yeah well made there's a lot of decent like effects with the ray guns and all that but then it does take a nosedive and you're kind of playing like cleanup for the ending so they could get an ending yeah pretty much it was all i mean what cracked me up about it too was when they were firing their ray guns, they like didn't have any motions. Oh yeah. They were just standing still. Just like, and no then emotion. it would be like pew. pew. <laughs> like it would go out from there and like they didn't move. <laughs> and I was like, I guess that's how a ray gun would work, but like, it was still weird. Fuck it, like the guy that charges up to like the invisible monster, he's just like, ah, yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, stands there, <laughs> fucking staring at the thing. I'm like, they just had him run up and stand there. We're like, all right, just stand there. We'll just, do the rest in post. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, like tactically, that was a bad move too. Like, why are you just running <laughs> yeah. up to like swiping distance? What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Gets fucking tossed. <laughs> yeah, he's, he gets wrecked. Um, so just for notes, Forbidden Planet was released in 1956. 
It was directed by Fred M. Wilcox and written by Cyril Hume. The story is based on The Tempest by Shakespeare. The budget for the movie was $1,968,000, and at the box office, it made $2,765,000. So it made its money back, and this was one of MGM's first like big production sci-fi movies. So they were putting a lot of money into it and hoping to get a lot of it back, and they succeeded. Um, it should be known, though, that this is the first science fiction film made by like big Hollywood to depict ho- uh, humans traveling in a starship and going to another planet. So they've had like other stuff, but it's all B-movie minor kind of roles. Nothing completely set in a different universe kind of like that. Um, and they were also nominated for an Academy Award at that year. Is that like American cinema? Yes, for American oh, okay. cinema. They got nominated for Best Visual Effects. Yeah, because I was like, there was a trip to the moon. Right. <laughs> which was like probably considered to be like one of the earliest sci-fi films because you you literally took a trip out to the moon in that one and that was great <laughs> that movie's fucking weird have that you seen movie? it colorized oh. no i don't want that shit is dope oh yeah like the colorized version of it yeah it's wild even it's... the special effects in it are still like standing up after like the, over 100 years the wizards are dope <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so the film like many of the 1950s movies they utilize matte paintings and handmade sets and the prop, Robbie the Robot, cost $125,000 to make. Jeez. Wait, so was it just a prop, or was there actually somebody inside of the suit? Both. Ooh. It's a prop that you could wear. Yeah. Okay, so it's a costume. All the so cool it's a costume. Stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like R2-D2, where they had a guy in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was great. that's hilarious. Yep. <laughs> also, somebody still owns, and they, like, bought fucking Robbie the Robot for, like, over a million dollars. Oh, my God. Somebody owns it? Yeah. What a cool piece of memorabilia to own. Right. Um, so the animations for the monster and for the lasers were created by the veteran animator Joshua Meter. He is known for his stuff at Disney, but he also worked on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And then this is the first mainstream movie in Hollywood that had the soundtrack completely made by analog synths. Oh, dang. And they're pretty wacky. It was great. It was all, sick. Yeah, all the sound effects in this are really unique and original. You won't really find these in other films. That's something I noted. as uh, This was like one of the first sort of like sci-fi, sci-fi films. And I feel like a lot of other movies drew musical inspiration after this. Because after that, then you started to hear like the real synthy, creepy kind of space music after that, which I'm a huge fan of. I... I agree with that because I feel like this soundtrack was made by a bunch of high dudes with analog synths with the plugins. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like, no, no. Try A to D. Okay, plug that in. Yo! <laughs> Yo! <laughs> like, I I think it's a really cool touch that they did. And for, it's not even just for the music. It's for, like, special effect, or sound effects. Yeah, well. it's for all the random sound effects that you just, you had to theorize what it would sound like because it just doesn't exist. Right. Like, what does wind on a distant planet sound like? <laughs> right. I love that when the Robbie gets first introduced, he's just hauling ass yeah. <laughs> on his yeah. little, like, like, cart. It's, it's a madman. <laughs> <laughs> Drives up, and he's like, what's up? <laughs> what's Hello? that in the distance, Captain? Um. So, cast real quick. Walter Pigeon as Dr. Edward Morbius. Wait, can you say Dr. Edward Morbius, but really enunciate Morbius? <clears throat> Doctor what? Edward Morbius. Oh, Doctor Edward Morbius. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> uh, 
Anne Francis as Altera, Alta Morbius, the daughter. Leslie Nielsen in his first big role as Commander John Adams. And uncredited Frank Darrow as Robbie the Robot. Damn, and Marvin Miller is the voice of the robot. Oh, weird. Interesting. Yeah, because in the fucking poster and in the movie, it says also starring Robbie the Robot oh, as Robbie the fucking wow. robot. I would have been pissed <laughs> if yeah. I was getting credited and they're like, didn't even put my name on it. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up, but kind of funny too. I mean, I would have only done it if they paid me more. Right. Like you're going to not credit me properly. You better put an extra zero on my paycheck because <laughs> they had the money for it then. Mm-hmm. They did. They absolutely <laughs> did. Um, so how do you guys feel if these movies land on the horror spectrum or Forbidden Planet, more likely, um, rather than the sci-fi spectrum. Because they're undoubtedly sci-fi, but how are they horror? I feel like the horror element is definitely, you know, of course, the big monster. I feel like that's a very horror element, although you definitely see that in sci-fi a lot, too. But that and then the whole, like, psychological aspect about how the monster was really himself the whole time. And I feel like in a lot of horror, there's definitely, like, a psychological element to who the killer or monster is in that movie. Yep. It also gave it the idea that uh, the crew and other people who meet each other uh, are instantly suspicious of each other and like turn on each other. And that's a really big element of horror is turning most Mm -hmm. of the people against each other. And then they kind of form teams on what they're going to figure out to do. And then there's the unseen monster that's like stalking them, which is great. Like when, when it first gets into the ship and like, you see the steps like bend and like that, that's like a really good effect they did. And you kind of imagine how big it is. I almost didn't want to see it in the electricity because you like, you have an image of what it is. I feel like the image kind of ruined it for me when I actually saw what it was. Yeah, it looks like a furry gorilla. I thought it looked kind of like a walrus. (laughs) I thought it looked like a dog. Uh, (laughs) It it looks like those things that the guy rides in the Mandalorian. The I have I have spoken that guy. Oh fuck! Is it the the Banta something like that? I think so. Yeah, mm. I think that's what it is. No, the uh, Banthas are, I think, are the big bully Banta. Maybe. Oh, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I think. Yeah, you're talking about the lizard-looking ones. Yeah, the oh. two-legged mouth ones. No, it's what she said. It's the banthas, banthas, I thought. I'm pretty sure it was a bantha. Yeah, I thought those were like the big... I don't know, Wait. man. I don't no, know I know, anymore. right? Get ready to get fucking de- uh, annoyed by Star Wars fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fuck creature they chose on that planet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It looks like that thing. Eat that, Star Wars fans. Yeah. We corrected ourselves somewhat. I don't yeah. know. I wouldn't even care if they yeah. complain. The fact that there's like millions of fucking books of lore, I don't even want to go in there. I don't want to touch it. Fuck I don't you. want to touch Fuck it. Fuck Star Wars. <laughs> um, so these are considered Silver Age classics. How do they differ from Golden Era classics? Well, they're not they're not shot in the traditional way, which was that like they had like a formula that they had made for films in the fifties in the Golden Age of cinema, which is like uh, they followed closely to that story. Uh, what is it? The hero's journey shit. Ah. It'd be like, ah, here's a person comfortable in their area. There's a problem. They get a call to action. They figure it out. They have a moment of disparity. They fix themselves. They solve the problem. They go back, and then the whole circle starts again. That's, like, what they did for every movie in the 50s. So you have, like, the Maltese Falcon. Like, that was, like, the most successful one, I think, from that era. And so this movie breaks away from that completely. You don't have, like, a linear storyline, and then you keep getting elements added on top. The, the thing with... Uh golden era 
it's very like personal with the conflict. It's either directed yeah. at a people or directed at a person. I mean, it birthed like film noir, yeah, which is like all personal and revenge murder stories. The cool thing about Silver Age is because we were coming out of the atomic age with World War II. Um, it wasn't like, oh, this is threatening me and my family. The whole world is at stake or the whole planet is at stake. The, every, the stakes are high. They're, they're very high. It's no longer about you know me. It's about everybody. And I thought it was it's very clear in these movies, especially in them. Oh, my God. They're like, oh, yeah, if we don't fucking kill these ants, yeah, the whole world's going to be done in, like, a year. Yeah, it's it's very much about, like, saving the community as a whole sort of idea. So it's like, I mean, both of these movies talk about that. So in Forbidden Planet, you've got, you know, discussing the Krell and this, like, old, like, alien race of people that used to live on this planet had a utopia. And then something wiped them all out. And then, But, I mean, you know. what a pompous asshole who is just like, no, I get to decide when all of this technology gets released to earth and it's just like i'm gonna be the one to figure it out because i'm smarter <laughs> my was, iq is measured in the big tube up there obviously i'm smarter <laughs> yeah it was definitely telling to his true nature and it kind of i feel yeah. like it fed into the fact that he was the one who was the monster in the first place which now i'm thinking about it it was him that technically killed off everybody that oh yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah that was him. he destroyed the planet <laughs> with his I, ego yeah, and and it Fair. brings up, but it brings up ideas of is humanity ready for advanced technologies? Have we have we gotten to the point where like our you know, I guess our governments and our populace are able to handle having yeah. advanced things like that? Because I mean, like what we're doing with advanced technology now, you know, it's not all great. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the thing too is I feel like there's definitely a lot more technology out there that just hasn't been exposed to the public yet. I mean. Just seeing some of the stuff that the military does and how much money they're getting to spend on, you know, research and building new equipment. I feel like what they're producing isn't really telling to where all the money's going. I think with the way that technology and science has advanced and rapidly advancing so in the last few years, we should have a lot more interesting things like where are the hover cars? Come on. I know that's a thing. I know they're real. I know jetpacks are real, too, but they're not in the public domain yet. It's true. Although I would say for hover cars, they just don't want to regulate the traffic. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine trying to regulate air traffic? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, people already suck at driving. We don't want to make them fly. Yeah, right. Dude, could you imagine drunk driving into a fucking apartment? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just like, oh, man, this man, he had, like, fucking three bottles of scotch, and he destroyed an entire fucking family on the second floor, like... It was my only thought when I watched The Fifth Element. I was like, has nobody crashed into a building? <laughs> but, you know. I wonder if they put up, like, invisible barriers between all the buildings. Could be. Like, little bumper That'd rails. be a nice fix if you're writing yeah. a story. I mean, well, we already have cars that, like, sense, like, um, my car right now will tell me if I've left my lane. If I, like, oh, deviate wow. from the lane, it'll start beeping at me. Cool. And they have things like that, too, or stuff that, like, yeah. once. So it's I wouldn't like be surprised if there was, like, sensors on the side that were like, oh, you're getting close to a car. Back up. And yeah. And then, like, puts them on a track There's auto something. brakes, I know. Yep. That's part That's of those. Yeah. Yep. I honestly feel like by the time we have hover cars, like, self-driving cars will be more of a thing. And in that case, there's not really a need for, like, air safety because your cars are just going to do it for you. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. yeah. Self-driving cars are, I think, are more feasible for us at the moment. Yeah. Or at least more doable. I mean, we have them in a sense. Yeah. And then there'll be political kidnappings. <laughs> I mean, that no. are self-driving cars. Yeah. Someone's going to get kidnapped. 
Yes, you could easily hack a self-driving car. It's a it's a it's a system that's separate. I feel like I saw that in a show one time. We it saw was, it. Oh, we saw it in like, Westworld. <laughs> well, yeah, but there's like some sci-fi show that I watched on the Sci-Fi Channel like years ago, nice. and like it opened with this woman getting into a self-driving car, and then the car like started freaking out and just drove her straight into a bay or something. Oh damn! Shit. All right. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> I mean, they did an upgrade. Remember, he's That's like, I am true. now, I am now yeah. hacking the car in front of us. You now own this car. It's just like, oh shit, I'm gonna throw it at the cop. Nice. <laughs> um, okay. So, did you guys have any favorite characters in this movie, or least favorite characters? Because these characters are horny. Look I dislike them all. My man, yeah. Robbie the robot. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, dope. Robbie made the movie. Robbie is a pure yeah, soul. He, he, was, he can he stay. Was dope. I, I, I did like Morbius as a character. Like I did like his inclusion. He's pretty he, fanatical. His, yeah. and, but I think that his like yeah. explanations for things aren't so far fetched that you're like, yeah. I don't agree with him to a point. You know, mm-hmm. you have some point where you're like, oh, I understand why he feels that way. You know, sort of a sort of thing. But I have to I have to say, like, with all of these crazy like th- this movie does a funny job of like putting the humans as being like the people that are coming to this world. The yeah. colonizers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like that. And then they all just try to bang everything. Yeah, and as we know, weird. colonizers kind of fuck up the indigenous <laughs> lands that they end up in. You know, Let, let's look at America real quick. That's true. Mm. Anyways. <laughs> all right. How do we feel about Altera? I, I thought her entire arc was interesting. I feel like Altera is a very good example of how females were presented and represented in movies back then because she's literally just sort of like a sex icon. On top of that, she kind of like messes things up, quote unquote, for everybody else by simply her presence. And let's not forget the uh, uh, the way the men reacted to seeing a woman and a woman wearing the outfits that she was wearing. Yeah, there actually is a really cringy moment where he says that she got a lot of attention because of what she was wearing. And this mm-hmm. is like the language you'll hear when people are like, well, why did you get raped? Oh, because of what you were wearing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like the precursor to that. And then it's like, a, it's like they didn't even realize what they were doing with the writing of that script. Like it wasn't intentional, but that's just how societal norms were it, during that time. It's 50s conservatism. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's really all it yeah. is. Yeah. It's yeah. really like, well, that's all it is. We have this weird thing where she actually alters her, her dress though. That was the weird. That was a yeah, like she, something that yeah, stood out to she me. She alters her dress in order to favor the captain that called her out on her scantily clad so, outfits. Yeah, that w- only to win his attention and ultimately his affection in the end, which pissed me off. <laughs> oh my god, because she was like, "Fuck this guy. He's telling me to do this, this, and that," and then she just submits to his will and does what he asks her to. Yeah, shame. And, well, okay. that was like their ideal storyline for women in the films. And then, but where is Morbius when all this is going? They're like, oh, so you guys were all just like macking and like doing it, like, and then he doesn't do it. Just yeah, give she a shit? Like, tells him. She tells him what happens, and he's just like, oh, hmm, yeah, well then. <laughs> he doesn't really seem to care. But the thing is, is that he hasn't really taught her like societal expectations by them being down the planet. So in a way, she is like a progressive person and character, but in an alternate way, they've made her childlike and like really innocent. And that's sort of like a weird position to put her character into. There's that whole scene where it's like, oh, yeah, kissing. Like, you feel stimulation. And then she, like, kisses the dude. She's like, I don't feel any stimulation That at was all. funny, but it was also, like, I could not get over the fact that this was, like, coercion in some yeah. way. Of just being, like, somebody. It's like when you talk to a kid who doesn't know anything. And I was like, this is a lot of pedophilia yeah. happening yes. in this it's moment. It feels so uncomfortable yeah. to watch. That's the second horror in the movie. 
Yeah. The horrors of men. Yeah, men. <laughs> I was about to horrors say men. <laughs> Fuck men. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry to all the men in the room, which is most people on this podcast. Minus okay. myself, of course. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Any pieces of set design that stood out to you and did you like that you really liked? I loved Morbius's little loft like home area. I thought the setup was really cool how it had like a natural like sort of rock pool thing going on lots of plants and then the inside was like circular shaped because in most cases architecture has been very straight line boxy kind of things but i feel like sort of the futuristic element is like working with curved spaces and yeah. i really like that they included that it was a very modern look yeah more modern than like the 50s kind of modern style it was like modern day modern you know? yeah oh yeah it was way advanced for its time like you would probably find something designed like that in certain buildings today yeah so it was like they were very far ahead as far as design for that i don't i don't know who did the design for the sets on this film but they did a really good job with color too the color palette they used for the whole film is really really good and yeah. it's memorable i loved like the green of the planet and then the green and the white combating you know with the interior yeah. of the home I thought that was really interesting that and the animals the random animals that would show up i consider them part of the set because they weren't really like the deer characters. and the tiger yeah super fucking dope yeah i, I also tigers. love how the tiger doesn't attack the, the girl just like yeah that's my friend don't kill my friend <laughs> pretty much i mean it's very indicative of like a 50s ideal future look yeah so like you know, it, like even Morpheus is just like the like caricature of that ideal, and like like wearing like pretty like a pretty like robe and things that look really nice, and he's bearded, of course, uh, and whatnot. Yes. Oh, and, his like, fucking facial hair was on point. Yes, it was. <laughs> it definitely was. Yes. You know, all intellectuals have to have a sick beard. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> they got to stroke it when they're thinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he also had some pretty cool outfits. Not gonna lie, that all yeah. black outfit that he wore. I was like, this is actually a cool thing. I would yeah, wear. it made me think of something I had seen like Star Wars, you know, what yes, the politicians would exactly. wear. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy for that. I mean, even uh, Altera's outfits, I feel, were like very Star Wars, you know, like the cute little like short skirt. I with wish the they hood. leaned into her outfits more like they really started making cool stuff. Yeah, right. But it was just like it was almost there. And then she got told to wear something different. And then she did. And you're yeah. like, oh, OK. <laughs> there was a scene after that, after she yeah. put on the long dress that she wore this cute like lavender outfit that would look like some sort of vinyl material. Oh, and yeah, it had yeah. the hood. I really like oh, that. Oh, that outfit. was cool. Yeah. That was very like Jetsons to me, I feel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think for set design, my favorite part was uh, when they go into the lower levels of the Krell base. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they, yeah. they have like, okay, look down. Just, just look down. And it's fucking yeah. huge mineshaft levels. Those of are great because they did like paintings combined with like practical effects yeah. and then like superimpose them onto like the screen. I'm pretty sure the lights that are like moving are light bulbs. Just yeah. like yeah. on a box that oh, are just yeah. like with fucking wires and Super shit. Super simple. It What's funny is that dope. it's supposed to be really futuristic, but like everything they touch and use is analog, even though it does like really advanced shit. This is true. <laughs> so it was an interesting age of sci-fi because you had no screens really. Yeah, I think the most futuristic element was honestly the robot that can synth yeah. synthesize organic materials. Yeah, you, you didn't start seeing screens in movies until like the 70s probably. Yeah. The movie was ahead of its time for sure. Like late 60s. Um, so... Robbie the Robot himself is an icon, though, in cinema history now. How do you feel about, like, the poster art for this thing? Isn't it dope? The This is, yes, this is, like, a time period where they paid really good artists 
to make their poster art. So like there's a whole like chunk of 20, 30 years where it's nothing but these paintings and they're really good. That was something I always loved about like older cinema is the hand painted posters that they would make. I remember having an English teacher in high school that collected them and just plastered them all over the classroom. It was so cool. I love looking at the art. And I wish that was something that was included more. You know, of course, it's digital age. People take photos and they do their digital editing upon it. But I think it would be really cool to see a movie come back to that painting of a poster rather than a digital design. Uh, I don't know if there's too many people who still do it. Uh, yeah. you would ha- you would definitely have to request it from someone, but I think I think it could easily get pulled off, and it would create such an aesthetic yeah. for what you're looking at. It would Although, be novelty. Yeah, it w- yeah, it would be a novel thing to do. Um, so pretty much finishing up here on Forbidden Planet. How do you guys feel about the ending of the movie? With the uh, entire like Krell base falling down, him coming to the cons- like the actual like consideration that. He is the one who murdered everyone, and he is the downfall of the planet. Oh, what a shit ending. It's a really abrupt ending. <laughs> also it's really very abrupt, abrupt yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, I, and now we see the fall of them, and then yeah. that's, the, that's it. <laughs> I think if they had spent more time with that, it would have been a little bit better, but I feel like it was rushed. It was literally in the last, like, 10 minutes of the movie that they finally got to the explanation, and I think if they had pushed the climax of the movie a little bit earlier and spent more time explaining it, it would have been a lot better, but I found myself confused. I was like, how do we get here? What's going on? It's only got, like, a runtime of an hour and a half, too, right? Yeah, it's a pretty short movie. It's well, a both shorter-ish movies, movie, yeah. Yeah, both movies are only about an hour and a half. They're like saying a bunch of science shit, just science, science, science. That's why you're bad. I never considered that. Yeah. (laughs) That was something I mentioned too, was that at some point they got into so much science that it actually took you out of what you were watching Yeah, because you had to like know everything they were talking about. And like, I understand making it so that your audience is like smart and they're going to understand it, but this is not accessible at some point. I do have to give them props, though, for bringing in the psychological element, because at that time, psychology was still, I mean, of course, psychology is a theoretical science, but at that time, it was starting to become more prevalent, especially after war times, they actually had a need for better psychology, because everyone was coming back from the war fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, they were trying to figure it out. Yeah, but I like how they introduced the ID and the ego, which are all parts of the human consciousness, you know, just lower levels of it that aren't as present as, you know, the presenting consciousness. Right. And that's the thing with the Silver Age. We're going into fears that aren't like just A and B. We're going into the out there, the other. Yeah, and that was very like sci-fi of them introducing this other part of science that people are just now starting to become like keen to. Yeah, this is also a post-World War where it was a total war. So they were adjusting to people being back in the United States, not at war anymore. And then like kind of, this is like also when they have a really prosperous time in the United States. Yeah. So like they were very uh, optimistic about the future. Yeah. It was sort of the, <laughs> the initiation of the convenience era, you know, we yes. have dishwashers oh, exactly. being made, vacuums, yeah. all these like little technological advances that make housework and stuff like that more easy to do. Mm-hmm. It's why you had shows like the Jetsons where they had yeah. like a robot that helped them around the house because they're right. like, we're going to be like here in technology. Yeah. In just it's a like, few look years. at all this cool stuff we have now imagine where we're going to be in a few years or 50 years by that matter just yeah like, what's coming next and then vietnam happened anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, all right i think i'm gonna wrap up on forbidden planet and then we're gonna crawl into them terrible
I know. I it doesn't have that much pizzazz as Mitch does. <laughs> pizzazz. <laughs> Them. I haven't one, heard anybody say that in a one, while. One thing I do want to say about Forbidden Planet is that sci-fi has always, at least at least to my knowledge, has always tried to go a little bit deeper than the laser guns and the electricity yeah. and the pretty you know machinery. And it's always tried to explore. And so this movie tries really hard. I feel to try to get to something a little deeper with this mean like this existential like meaning like what is knowledge how does knowledge affect humanity yep things such and as how that. does it affect someone to have so much power and knowledge exactly. and keep it to themselves yep the the precursor to something like this would be like metropolis yeah. where they where yeah. they, where they yeah. talk yeah. about like what it means to exist and like what that means for like a robot and like things like that power structures baby yeah that one was heavy on the power structures for, for like real. propaganda and fascism and things like that it's pre-war i think you guys ready to talk about them yep ah yes all right so them the only ant movie that i know off the top of my head <laughs> uh yeah there's really no other giant ant movies <laughs> they kind cool of concept. very specific niche <laughs> Uh, this was released in 1984, directed by Gordon Douglas, written by Ted Sherdeman. The budget for this movie is unknown, and it made $2.2 in the box office. Yeah, this was a time period where they didn't tell people how much they spent on money, or, or how much money they spent on these films, because they didn't want people to be like, you spent how much <laughs> on this movie? <laughs> on fucking giant ants? What the fuck, dude? But they also <laughs> had millions upon millions of dollars that they could use for films, which is why there's so many films right. during that this time This is period. sort of like the booming age of Hollywood. Yeah. They're like, wow, these films are really powerful. Like, We can do a lot to influence the culture this way. Let's yeah. put money into it. Definitely. I think there's even like government funding. Yeah. For some of these movies. Yeah, they, they received it, especially if they were uh, putting the U.S. government or the U.S. military in a nice light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Propaganda. Uh, AKA, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's totally propaganda. Oh, yeah. The most unrealistic thing about this movie was that the government worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did stuff. <laughs> that they legit, like, were a good bureaucracy. So this movie was shot in black and white due to budget cuts. And it was shot in a 1.33 aspect ratio. They did not think this movie would be successful. They did it's not. why they, they cut the budget. But the one color in the movie is the fucking title. Yeah. It's very weird. weird. Yeah, it was really weird. MGM was like, yeah, we'll do the title. That's it. Well, what's funny is that when I was reading through stuff about this movie, apparently there was like a board meeting at some point and They were like, you're making a movie about what? Because <laughs> I guess they had like told them it was a giant monster movie. Oh, shit. Didn't uh. tell them it was ants. And then at some <laughs> point they like finished the ant props that they used for like the puppets. And then one of the like executives saw it and was like, we need to have a meeting. <laughs> and then like went into the meeting and was like, you guys made fucking giant ants. I thought you were making a giant monster movie honestly i think the ants <laughs> are such an interesting concept to use yeah. like there's there's the part where the professor was explaining oh that's like, great everything about yeah. ants and to be honest if you really think about it ants are the superior race if they were bigger they would have taken over yeah, this planet a long time sense. ago they're incredibly intelligent they have set up societies and roles in their societies they have a very strict way that they make their bases that are technologically advanced that support the environment that they're in not only that they're super strong they're equipped with an exoskeleton, which is basically constant armor. They have big old pinchers and acid, bruh. Yeah, with the stingers. Yeah. He also comments that they're the only other creatures that make war and yes. take slaves. One, one thing they're missing, chimpanzees also do this. Yes. yes. Also declare war. Yes. Yep. There was one thing that he said about the, oh, yes, 
<laughs> it's the moment when you realize that ants could lift up to 20 times their strength. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> think how fucking huge these things are. Yeah, I think he explained that for human perspective, the, how much weight an ant can lift is equivalent to a human lifting a ton and a half. Yeah. Oh, let's not forget that Robbie was also fucking yoked. He, yeah. could, lift like, <laughs> he could lift like thousands of pounds. Just like, this is 10... 10 tons. Yes, this is my morning workout. Fucking fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie was swole. About, about to pump some weights, about to kill some brewskis, bro. <laughs> I'm fucking Robbie. <laughs> Robbie the robot. Robbie the robot. He's your bro. <laughs> cha, man. Yeah, cha. So them is yeah. uh, considered to be the first big bug creature feature ever to be put on mainstream films. V- very funny. It's funny that it happened so late for American cinema and Japan has just been riding that wave for like 15 years prior. We've been doing this, man. Get on our way. <laughs> they were like, wait, you've never done a Godzilla movie? What the fuck? I, mean, I feel like in Japanese culture, they have much more observation of nature than we do here in America. America is yeah. very much about industry and Japan is definitely about industry as well. But their industry is a little more cohesive with the environment as well. They also have cooler mythology yeah. that they can pull from for stuff like this. Way cooler like religion. Thousands of years of content. Yeah, <laughs> like the Shinto religion is so interesting. Oh, yeah, that's really cool shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should definitely mention that. That's oh, way. yeah. <laughs> uh, them was nominated for an Oscar as well uh, for its special effects. But the award went to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, they mopped up that year. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and so that means our boy Joshua Meter got the fucking win. Um, but it did win a golden reel for best sound editing. Makes so sense. That's the sound that the ants make is fucking nuts. I got really annoyed oh with God. it. It reminded me of like when a car has a belt loose and it just <laughs> makes that fucking screechy yeah, noise. Really did. Like I, I kept thinking that the whole time. I'm like, who's fucking cars fucked up right now, man. It's a really eerie noise that they oh, make. Yeah. In the, and every time that it's there, you know, we're in Antsville mm-hmm. every time. <laughs> Uh, D- Dick Smith was uncredited, but he was the special effects supervisor. They only made three ants for this movie. Yeah. So there's no more than three ants in a, a shot. Yeah, that's how you kept seeing uh, them only in small groups. And then the World War II flamethrowers are actual World War II flamethrowers. And they were used by veterans who used them in battle. God, what a wild weapon to use. That's fucking terrifying. They yeah. outlawed that in war. Yes, it is no longer allowed. It was considered too inhumane by the Geneva Convention. Yeah, bro, you just come up with some fucking flames, just burn everybody alive. Shit. Like I feel like that's the worst way to go out is burning alive because you're definitely alive for like a good portion of the time you're burning until eventually you lose, you lose all your nerves and senses and yeah. just fucking crumble into ash. But you know, whatever. You suffocate, I think. Yeah, you suffocate first. <laughs> the Geneva Convention just put out their new patch on war. Uh, flamethrowers have been removed from the meta. Uh, just like- <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, that's real though. They were like, we're gonna we're gonna have war anyway, so we need to put some rules. We have to put some rules here. All right. So the thing says we allowed flamethrowers. Too OP. <laughs> we were there. It was too, way too imbalanced. Too many yeah. ganks were being had. <laughs> It's interesting the things that they remove from war. Like, I remember tear gas was one of those things that was removed. However, as we all know, the police officers are still making use of tear gas. 
which yeah. is a highly volatile chemical. Yep. It's because they flammable. have like old ass stores of them that they just never use. So they're like yeah. pulling them out to use in riots. <laughs> yeah. And which is kind of crazy because first of all, old tear gas is very flammable. Yeah. I mean, tear fuck? gas in general is, but you know, the older it gets, the more like toxic and volatile it becomes. And it's just, it's so inhumane, but still we're using it on protesters. Anyways, I digress. How dare you put a hole in your bullet and make it hollow <laughs> So your insides just get obliterated. How dare you do that? <laughs> Not as cool as the shotgun sword combo <laughs> they no. used in World War II. <laughs> I wish that was still a thing. I want one. <laughs> ultimate close combat procedure. Yo, the fucking Americans who decided to do that were fucking nuts. Now, hear me out on this. The shotgun sword combo with dragon breath. <laughs> Dragon Breath, if you don't know, is an incendiary round that shoots it's fire. It's ridiculous. Oof. It, like, explodes midair and just turns into a mini bomb. <laughs> I would hate to With be on shrapnel. the other end of that. Um, fun. War is fun. <laughs> right? Unless you're in it. Unless you're in it, yeah. They're going to keep pumping out Call of Duties regardless of what we say. It's true. Uh, I hope they do. So, real quick, the cast is James Whitmore as Sergeant Ben Peterson, Edmund Gwen as Dr. Harold Medford. I call them early Bernie Sanders. <laughs> uh. Uh, Joanne Weldon as Dr. Pat Medford, who I thought she was pretty good in this movie. But she was in the movie. Just yeah, she it. was. And well, James for Ar- a small portion of it. Anyways. And uh, James Arness as the FBI agent Robert Graham. That dude's dumb. Yeah. He's just so dumb. I'm like, how did you become an FBI agent? <laughs> so how does this movie land on the horror spectrum? I mean, giant monsters. Giant monsters. You know. yeah. Giant monsters. <laughs> Classic giant monsters. I mean, what's more frightening than hearing, oh, ants, but giant flying ants. That's that, terrifying. Yeah, that's pretty awful. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty terrifying. I think it just, I think it's itself. Giant ants and then the transgressions of man through their warfare production. And then and then also, like, something this movie did really interestingly is when all the soldiers go under to, you know, find the ants and the kids and whatnot, they almost, like, become the ants. Oh, they're, yeah. they're, like, they're, like, changing the environment to, like, suit them in that moment and things like that and going on through it. So I thought that was a pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, definitely. The, the precursor to Alien. Yeah, for real. The claustrophobic scenes. Fucking flamethrowers and they're just, like, burn the eggs. Pretty unique for them to, like, make the idea of the eggs and how they have to destroy everything. It's, like, sticky. Like, that was definitely the precursor to Aliens. There is a super awesome scene where they're trying to break through all the rubble, but there's one guy on the other side who's just, like, just shooting at all the ants as he gets more surrounded, and then all of the dudes, like, pop out from behind it to come in. I thought it was kind of epic. It was like, pretty cool. use your hands, man. Like, use your hands, use your go. Hands. <laughs> um, so the stakes are much higher in this movie because the whole world is at stake. Right. And we're swapping fears from something that's personal to more grandiose worldwide. Do you think this was on purpose? Like oh, yeah. it's This movie is propaganda for the U.S. Right. government. <laughs> they were like, we're great. We know how to handle problems, even though they just came out of a total war, but whatever. That was the thing. They even, <laughs> they even say, like, because of the new nuclear bomb, this yeah. is why we have the right. ants. I'm sure this was part like, hey, you know, certain things might come from war, but we can handle it. That's, like, the idea I got from it. I mean, kind of until the end where he had that line. Um, yeah. I can't get exactly what he said, but he was based. Somebody had asked, you know, if this could happen here, there's been more testing sites and more bombs that have gone off here. Could this happen in other places as well? Yeah. He's like, well, 
we'll never know the true toll of war or some shit right. like that. I mean, I also took it as a like way of them showing that they would handle like a, a rebellion of some sort. Like if people like in this film, the ants, the giant ants were like people they did not like in the United States and how they would handle these people. And so that's kind of what I took from it too. Cause I mean, all throughout American history, they've always had internment camps. So they're like going to deal with people in a certain way. And then this of course was like straight propaganda for the government working in the U S fucking army being like great people. I think they mentioned the Marines and yeah. Yeah. How they like execute the invasion of Los Angeles sewer system, like perfectly with no problem. Yeah. Like it was just too perfect. I was like, there's no way that the U S government would handle it this smoothly. They, they did have to fucking interrogate a bunch of fucking people. Yeah, that poor dude that got left in the hospital. <laughs> there was one thing I thought was interesting <laughs> is how they wanted to keep the whole situation hush-hush from yes, the public. very believable. And I honestly think that still happens today. I think there's a lot of things that go on in the U.S. and in the world that we simply don't know about because they don't want to incite some sort of global panic. Was this was this pre-Nixon? Yes. It was pre-Nixon, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Okay. I was like, I was like, I wonder if this was made after he lied to everybody. It's <laughs> like, hey, we could lie to the public. Yeah. But for safety, okay? For safety, guys. I mean, the like the US politics has always been like rotten from when they were like able to sway political campaigns, so it's not surprising. What I thought was very interesting was the uh alerts for like high levels of sugar, syrup or fucking right. spices like rated. I thought that was a very interesting thing because that's they're ants. They're going to go for Fucking 240,000 pounds yeah. of fucking sugar. Their scale made sense, though. Like, yeah. for, for, like, how the movie scales up and the importance and how wide the spread is. Like, you first start off with a very small, condensed story, and then it works its way into something bigger. So the pacing was really good for the film. Do you think the props hold up? Like, the ants? Yeah, they still look pretty the good. The ants were great, yeah. in my opinion. I feel like that's how an ant would look if it was all big-sized. Yeah, it's true. The practical effects almost always hold up. It's like watching the thing. Yeah. Like, this yeah. still looks pretty good. <laughs> so how do you think about the ants having wings? I, I just learned that they had they could have fucking wings. Oh, oh really? Terrified me. I didn't know that <laughs> I didn't well, I didn't know that the queens have could have wings and then they fall off. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty realistic science that they used for the explanation mm-hmm. of the ants. Yeah. The, 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 the professor that discusses ants, he knows his shit. Yeah. He knows his ants. He has some of the best lines in the movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. He honestly felt like the lead character, even though like he was sort of in there as more of a supporting role. Yeah, that's true. Just like, how, how long can we fix this problem? Oh, I don't know if we could fix the problem. There's like a lot of factors here because science. And they're like... No, fix the problem. He's like, I, I don't have the fucking answers. I'm just a fucking guy. You leave me alone. I don't have the answers. The answers. <laughs> what I thought was, was a knee slapper. Yeah. What I thought was. Oh my god! <laughs> Get out of my apartment. <laughs> Simultaneous knee slapper. I know slap. that, that was, was ridiculous. Beautiful. See, this I is applaud. why I say we gotta film this shit. <laughs> now, here's here's what I wanted to talk about the character of john or john she like they try to do the sexism thing on her where it's like oh you're like his daughter i'll get you a hotel and she's oh, like, you're talking I- about the doctor yes yeah she's like i'm a scientist i have to stay with my father please yeah. like every time he tries to make an advance she's like i'm a scholar i'm a doctor please leave me alone 
And yeah. she's pretty badass. Yeah, that was one thing I have to give them props for is having like an educated woman who knows herself and knows what she wants in the situation. However, I also have to point out the fact that she wasn't really in the movie that much. She was more of a supporting role. And at some point, you just didn't she see just her. Vanishes. Yeah, like she just vanishes. Yeah, she just vanished from the movie. She was in there for maybe like a third, maybe two thirds of the movie. They kind of did this thing where they were like, this is wartime now. You need to like go somewhere else. And like she just wasn't in the film anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. Gotta let the boys do their big war thing. Well, you know, big guns and all. I mean, yeah. at one point, one of them one of them says, you can't come. And she's like, uh, fuck you, I'm going. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. Like kind of her deal. Like, you yeah. need someone yeah. there who when knows Yeah, when they first went out to like explore yeah. the situation. And she was the first one to find the giant ant, too. Yeah, that's true. The it, You're talking about the um when they first went into the cave, into the nest. Uh, I'm talking about when they're exploring that uh, trailer out in the desert. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. she's out like looking for some clues and stuff, and she hears the the weird pitch noise and comes across a giant ant. Does a classic movie scream? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Props to her for falling down and still running away, though. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, she didn't just stay there. She hits that flamethrower pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's like burn all the eggs. <laughs> Goes for it. <laughs> Um, so the thing with sci-fi is they kind of go through like absurd kind of realities that could potentially happen. Do you think like having a growth style procedure on animals or something like that could be possible in the future? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things, uh, that radiation affects organic material in a lot of different ways. You know, we have animals out in like Fukushima and stuff that are growing second heads. It's even affecting like plants and stuff like that. Who's to say that it wouldn't create a giant monster? I mean, isn't that kind of like Godzilla's thing? Wasn't it some sort of like nuclear waste that created Godzilla? Or was he just Godzilla? I'm actually not sure. What is the origins of Godzilla? Nuclear bomb. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. There you go. I thought yeah. so. Yeah. And it then... depends on the movie though. Because yeah. either the nuke hits the animal, the animal comes from the nuke. I mean, if you've seen the newer modern movies, it's really fucking weird. But they retconned it. So the test at Bikini Atoll was an attempt to kill Godzilla. Yeah, that was great. I <laughs> love that. Yeah. Though. That was a great piece of like tying it into U.S. history. They're like, oh, they weren't testing bombs. They were trying to kill Godzilla. <laughs> they, they do, and if you look into the lore with like that kind of stuff, it's it's crazy because they, they explain a lot of phenomenon that's happened yeah. in real life yep. surrounding it with giant monsters yeah, in the universe. Because the U.S. has always been top secret about that stuff. So it makes sense to tie in like pieces of history in the like the lore of the movie for that. I mean, there's also like I think it's in uh, Chernobyl. There's fucking uh, um, mushrooms and like spores and stuff growing in there that eat radiation. Mm-hmm. At this point, are just growing off of the radiation being given off by that station. So it's like it's totally possible for organic things to use the radiation. So you're telling me that 40k orcs are, are real <laughs> exactly. and are actually going to happen. It's I would true. believe it. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, they come from spores. So yes, they have to. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then they die and make more spores. For a forbidden planet, do we think that interplanetary like travel is going to be within our lifetime? No. Or probably the next lifetime? I sure hope it is, but to be honest, at the rate we're going with technology and how much funding is being put into space exploration and travel, I don't think it really will happen in our lifetime, but I would love to see it happen. I think it's a really interesting concept to explore because the universe is unfathomably vast. 
who's to say that there isn't a livable planet? There are livable planets out there. That oh, can yeah. Sustain human life. But we, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. We're mostly looking for shit that we could live on. Yeah. So it could just be like places where other things are living, but they don't need the same yeah, stuff. That I we think do. the big like thing right now is trying to colonize places like Mars. Yeah. Which Mars at some point actually was, it did have an environment similar to that of Earth. <laughs> We don't exactly know what happened to it. There's a lot of uh, theories about what happened to Mars. Some people believe that there was a civilization there that destroyed itself with nuclear weaponry and just blew off the atmosphere and destroyed oh, the whole place, you know? Jeez. Damn. That's a crazy-ass theory. I know. Mm. That sounds nuts. I want to read up on that. Yeah, definitely look into it. I mean, the current limitation with traveling like that is that we cannot obtain light speed. That is like they're like as far as the physics is concerned for most of the theories, we just can't do it with the technology that we have now. Yeah. So unless we find a breakthrough in that, we're still gonna have to travel like a long fucking time to get to just the edge of our solar system. Yeah, it takes a few <laughs> months, if not years, just to reach the yeah. next celestial body. I wanna say it takes like two to three years to get to Pluto. Yeah. But I could be wrong. I think it's, I think longer, it's longer than that. I think it's longer. Yeah. I think it's about two to three years just to reach Mars. Oh sh I think it's like seven years for Pluto. Or we should we'll look it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it is years though, and it's like because of how slow things have. They also have to have enough gear and fuel to get to these places, or use like the solar, uh, like sails that they end up using. So it's like we just don't have the stuff. And then like Justine mentioned, NASA has like a zero budget because fucking nobody gives a shit about nasa anymore okay Fuck. it takes about 21 months to reach mars oh, okay shit almost two years Fuck. yeah <laughs> god damn all right yeah pretty nuts do you guys have any favorite scenes from these movies i like the them scene <laughs> i like when the little girl smelled the the acid and oh, then yeah. just jumped up and was like them. Out. yeah I, I love when movies do the thing where they insert the title somewhere yeah, into the dialogue. That's true. Uh, I love that so much. Uh, are we talking about both movies? Yeah. For Forbidden Planet, I, I just kind of like when Robbie the Robot is introduced. I feel like he was just such a prominent throwaway character, honestly. Yeah, it's true. Um, I think... Some of my favorite scenes, one of them for from Forbidden Planet was uh, when she's just swimming in the pool, like, naked and has no idea that, like, societal norms says that she's not allowed to do that. American societal norms. Right. Not all true. countries have the same Very opinion true. on nudity. American societal norms were like, you need to be covered up, conservative. And she gets out and she's like, what is the issue? Because he's <laughs> freaking out. He's just like, you need to, like, cover yourself up. And it was just a funny moment because he's just so fucking dumb. <laughs> and, like, he, his character is weird that whole moment. So it was a good way to make commentary on it while also, like creating something that's a little different than what you usually saw in film. And uh, I felt like it wasn't exactly made for like the male gaze. Like they weren't like, look, she's naked. They were just like, look at how weird this guy's being right now. Look, look at this societal norm and look how awkward he's being while yeah. this chick is just trying to swim. Yeah. It kind of makes me think that if nudity was something that was more accepted in society, would there be less men that are blaming women on their clothing for why their actions are the way they are? Probably. Probably. I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes on that one. Just a little tidbit. It's Food for true. thought. <laughs> and then for them, 
uh i feel like the whole beginning sequence is really good like the intro to that movie is a great way to introduce it also a weird era when cops actually did their job <laughs> and were good at it so it was just like this is when it was like honorable to be a cop and was like you you're like you want it to be in this profession because 50s yeah. era cops um for the most part would do their job unless they were just you know blatantly racist and part of the yeah. plan <laughs> See, they actually put money into training for cops back then. That's which true, actually, I don't, yeah. With it was, the big-ass yeah. budget cops have nowadays, I don't know why they're not getting better training, honestly. Because the cops need, in other countries have much better training. They need I'm cool riot gear. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can we talk about how cops nowadays look like literal stormtroopers? I'm just saying. Anyways. Favorite scene? It's on me now. All right, so here it goes. In Forbidden Planet, I see some people already said the things I already really liked, but you know, of course, when Robbie's introduced, but when he makes the booze, when he makes <laughs> the booze, yeah, that's that's yeah. a really fun scene. That's just a really fun scene and a good like comedic break that. from like what they're discussing, and it has like nothing to do with the message or anything like that. It's just all about like, look how cool this fucking robot is. Yeah, yeah it really that's is. Fun concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it reminds me of um fucking like a scene from Transmetropolitan where like his fabricator like makes drugs for itself <laughs> and it just starts getting high on its own drugs and he's like great my fucking fabricator's high <laughs> I love the quote the guy has too he's like robot I've been from here to there you're the only person that ever understood me <laughs> yeah it's just like I think that whole scene with him making the booze is probably my favorites from this one as well as like the the scenes with like the uh, the invisible footprints yeah. going through the sand and everything, I loved all of that. Those are some very cool practical effects for that movie. And then I think when they go under the city in them, like that whole sequence is like one of my favorite parts too, where they're all just trying to deal with these ants and like find them and like all the communication between everybody. I like seeing stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Uh, for Forbidden Planet, it's when the spaceship comes in. The matte painting is great. The effects hold up. Like, I <laughs> the little enjoy. saucer that comes little flying. Little saucer, in. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, for them, I'd say it is... It's it's the opening scene, but it's when they go to the guy's general store and they find his broken-ass gun. And it's just like, yeah, he is full of acid. Like, he is just completely <laughs> fucking He had, like, destroyed. his neck broken, his chest was caved in, he, like, broke his back. Like, it was just all sorts of and, stuff. But, I mean, he has the best line. He's like, give me whiskey, make me a sergeant. Give me whiskey, make oh, me a sergeant. Oh, he starts gosh. going off like that. <laughs> there is also something I wanted to note about both of these movies is they never actually show a dead body. They tell you what happened to the victims, but they never actually show the blood or gore or the mangled bodies. There is one scene in them where they find the guy in the basement who's been pierced by the thing. Mm -hmm. And they do do kind of like a close up on him and he's got like a little bit of blood on him and stuff. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, but for the most part, no, they're just pretty clean though. Mm -hmm. You have the body bag kind of stuff where it's like, look, and they like don't show the camera. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. It was just too much to show people dead people on the fucking screen, I guess. <laughs> Not like they didn't spend the last couple decades mangling bodies, but you know, right. whatever. <laughs> uh, so despite the, the sexism in these movies, do you feel that these movies deserve the accolades that they get for sci-fi classics? I think for their time, it was definitely something that hadn't really been done before, at least to that extent. So I think they definitely deserve the props for that, at least. 
for being pioneers, let's say, of the sci-fi and horror genres in that sense. Yeah, I would say probably the same thing. Uh, Forbidden Planet definitely deserves it because they're wholly original when they were making all of their technology. And they handled it a little bit differently. Although you had the effects of them like making the girls childlike in that and having, I think, only one woman in the entire movie. Now I think about yeah. it. In both movies, besides, you know, the... the- the mother of the two kids yeah the, that's right in them who's hysterical yeah when she shows course. up on camera <laughs> of course the yeah. hysterical woman trope but whatever yeah yeah they definitely do that so i mean i would i would give them accolades for that but as far as like uh the storyline goes it start they, i think they both started off strong and then ended abruptly and i'm not sure if it was just because of the time limit or if the writer just gave up what was the question again? Do you do you think they deserve the sci-fi accolades for what they? Forbidden had. Planet did a really good job of bringing like sci-fi elements, like a lot of them, and even like it even brings brings in like the big brain philosophy stuff that sci-fi is really well known for. So I think that was a good thing, and <laughs> I think brain. it deserves credit definitely for that for introducing those ideas into a movie in the first place. And then them is them. I just had a lot of fun with. I just thought it was a fun movie. That was it. It's like giant ants. I liked watching like the cops get down on like the what happened here. What could this yeah. possibly be? Yeah, and then, like breaking it down the crime scene. I like I like watching shit like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. Um, and what? Can yeah, you that's what it is. It's this? a procedural. Yeah, procedural <laughs> that's like deduction. Yeah, that's what they were figuring out. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I don't know about I don't know about them as far as in sci-fi because it's really just a big monster movie. There's a lot of those, but Forbidden Planet for sure. I think. Forbidden Planet, yes. Them, eh. Well, eh. What would you guys rate these movies? Solid fives all around. <laughs> They're just like, I don't know. I think it's just because I've seen too much sci-fi since then. So it was just like, they might be the originals, but they weren't the best ones. Yeah, I agree with the fives for both of them. <laughs> Same reasons. I'll go with an eight for them because it was a lot more fun. And I'll go for like a seven for Forbidden Planet. I, I them really surprised me. I didn't think I was gonna enjoy it as much as I did. I I I was going to do I was going to do eights all around for both of them because I I really did just enjoy both of these movies just because they had like a certain aesthetic that you just don't see anymore and it was kind of fun to experience them that way. But I think that with the letdown ending that Forbidden Planet have, it's <laughs> dropping to a seven right. <laughs> but all but but them was an eight because i just it was such a simple concept and i was like this is gonna be really dumb and then it was like wow okay they're kind of like actually putting some effort into this like holy shit okay so i was i had a lot of fun with them and then forbidden planet there were a lot sometimes when i was just kind of like all right get on to the next thing sort of deal but yeah so eight for them and then seven for forbidden planet cool you guys have any final thoughts uh, go buy the vinyl for Forbidden Planet. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. all the noises from the film, and it's just like you have no idea what you're listening to. Also, you could buy the Robbie the Robot fucking figurine at Walmart oh, for right. 20 bucks. Yeah, that's dope. Um, Did you guys? No. Nope, okay. Else. Nope, no I have thoughts. one final thought. So I just got done playing a DLC in Fallout, and they discuss about like the – dichotomy of man when they have nuclear power and how it could 
basically be a destructive force and how one person can change history with a push of a button. Um, but with the final quote from that DLC that happened, it said, it says, war never changes, but men do through the roads that they walk. So we should be wary on the road that we're heading towards. How wholesome. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How ominous. Ominous. Yeah. Very ominous as fuck. Very ominous. It's not like we're dealing with late stage fucking fascism or anything. God. Boo. <laughs> Let's get booze all around for the current state of the world. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Right. Do your thing. <laughs> I will do my thing. Are all you right. COVID now? Shh. Okay, all right. Shh. So we are bringing down the grindhouse. You could check us out on all our social media presences, whether they be Facebooks, the Twitters, or the Instagrams. Uh, we also have a Patreon that is live with a lot of bonus content. Right now we are all dancing as I go through the many websites <laughs> that you could find us on. That being Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Anywhere you could find podcasts. I said that first. Um, I did not. <laughs> but thank you for checking out these movies and discussing them. I hope everyone has a great night. I'm Mitch. I'm Mer. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>